Pray with me, please. Father, for this time of worship and to meet together uh, like this is so meaningful and special to me, and I pray that you will use it uh, for your glory. Use our time in your word to teach us what you would have us to know and what we ought to do with what we know. Help us to understand uh, the responsibility we have to take what we might learn and to use it to make much of you uh, and not of ourselves. So thank you for the chance to do that even now in Jesus' name. Amen. Go ahead and please turn in your Bibles to the very last uh, book, very last chapter of the Old Testament, the book of Malachi. We're actually going to start in chapter 3 and, uh, and then do chapter 4 as well. As you're turning there, go ahead and think back over the last six to eight or nine or even 12 months, and I would bet, I would suspect that probably all of you in here at some point over the past even six months have said something like, I didn't expect that to happen. I've said it and thought it uh, almost daily, it feels like. Expectations are funny things because normally you base your expectations on what you think is normal. So whatever's normal for you, if that doesn't happen, you think, well, my expectations have been, you know, they haven't been met. Like something has been, uh, something has gone wrong, okay? This happens, you know, this can happen even when you do something like you, you've, you go to a friend's house and you see the way that your friend's and their family, you know, maybe they, maybe they do meals different than you. Maybe they do, you know, if you're spending the night, maybe they do bedtime different than you. And probably what comes into your mind is, well, that's not normal. You guys do it weird. It especially happens, I'll warn you, it happens when you get married. Because all of a sudden you live with a person who does, who, who does things, who does life in a totally different way than the way that you thought was normal. And you're like, well, that's weird. And for that other person, they're going to say... No, this is normal. The way you do it is weird. Okay, so we all base our expectations on what we think is normal, and everybody has a different definition of what is normal. Your expectations may also depend on your personality. So you might think, well, I'm normally an optimistic person, and so I always expect things to go really well, and I'm surprised when they don't. Or you might be the opposite. Man, I'm just really pessimistic, and I am shocked if anything ever goes right. Uh, and so, again, either way, whatever happens might be different than what you expect just based on whatever is normal to you. So, because of that, we need to make sure that our expectations in life are properly grounded in reality. And we don't have to guess about reality because we believe, Christians believe, that the Scriptures show us what is real. They show us what is True. We're at the very end of the Old Testament uh, here in Malachi, and the end of the Old Testament is 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 really like a cliffhanger. Okay, so if you've read a if you've read a good book, or you or you see a TV series or even a movie sometimes, and it ends because you know there's another one coming, and it ends, and it's like you're on the edge of your seat, and you wonder how it's all going to get worked out. They call that a cliffhanger because you're you're left wondering. You know, I can't wait for the next chapter. I can't wait for the next episode or the next 
the next movie. And there's two reasons for us being in this passage tonight. One is uh, to, because I, I really, I really wanted to get through the minor prophets, and we're finally going to do it. It only took us uh, 15 months. So here, so that's that's my uh, selfish reason. The other reason, though, is because cliffhangers are kind of like. Um, it's leaving you wondering. It's leaving you expecting something to get resolved. So it's almost like there are these, these premises, and you don't know yet how they're going to get worked out, and so there's an expectation of, well, something's got to get solved. There's something left un, unsolved. So uh, we're going we're gonna to see some promises that God makes at the end of the Old Testament, and then... You know, of course, we can flip the page and go to Matthew in the New Testament and see, oh, that's how some of those promises get fulfilled. But imagine this. When Malachi wrote, once he wrote, there was immediately after he wrote something like 400 years where God didn't speak. There were no scriptures. There was no, you know, voice from God. There was just silence. And so it was like a 400-year cliffhanger for God's people and they're thinking, okay, God, you made all these promises. How are they going to be fulfilled? So the idea for, for mainly for this semester is to think about this, uh, this topic of expectations. And, and asking questions like, okay, as a Christian or as someone who's interested in, in Christianity, how do I know what to expect from God? How do I know what God expects from me? And, and all kinds of related questions. So starting tonight, we're going to look at God's promises in three areas. So you've got your notes there, and you can, you can kind of write these in as we go. And, uh, and then kind of use this hopefully as a guide for when we break into small groups here shortly and, and discuss how these things might apply to us, uh, how God's promises in these areas apply to us even now. So God's promises in three areas. Here's the first area, and then we'll read the verses that go along with it. The first area, God's promises concerning those who oppose the Lord, who oppose the Lord. And for this, I want you to look with me at Malachi chapter 3, verse 13. I'm going to read 13 through 15. Malachi writes, your words have been hard against me, says the Lord. But you say, how have we spoken against you? You have said, it is vain to serve God. What is the profit of our keeping his charge or of walking as in mourning before the Lord of hosts? And now we call the arrogant blessed. Evildoers not only prosper, but they put God to the test and they escape. What is, what is God promising here about those who oppose the Lord? What's the first thing he says that, they, uh, that they've done in verse 13? What does he accuse them of? Their words, right? Your words have been hard against me. They speak against him. Whose words are these? Who's God talking to? You could go back to the beginning of the book and you see God is, is actually talking to this nation of Israel. And you might think, if you know your Old Testaments well enough, you might think, wait a minute, I thought Israel was God's nation, that they were God's people. Why is it that God's people are speaking against Him? 
And you begin to find out that even among God's chosen nation, there were some individuals in that nation who were against their God. They were against the God who had rescued them, redeemed them, delivered them, called them out, called them by his name, called them to be his people. And even some of those individuals were speaking harshly against their God. And what they were saying, you see there in verse 14, and you can write this blank in, they, they were saying that it is vain to serve him. It is vain to serve him. This, so this is, the, this is the specific way, this is, this is one of the specific things they were saying. The Lord says, you're speaking harsh words against me. And what were those harsh words? Well, they're, they're saying, it's vain to serve the Lord. What, what does it mean to, for something to be vain? If something is in vain, you know what that means? Could be done out of hate or jealousy, okay? Not what? Not worthwhile, yeah. Pointless. Meaningless, yeah. There, there's no reason to serve you, God. Now, here's, here's why they would say there's no reason even to serve you. This is why they would say it's pointless to serve you. Because in verse 15, even the Lord admits, the arrogant are blessed and evildoers not only prosper, but they put God to the test and escape. They put God to the test and escape. And, the, and a couple ways they do that uh, in those blanks underneath there. They are arrogant yet blessed. They are arrogant yet blessed. And the next one, they are evildoers, yet they prosper. The arrogant are blessed and the evildoers prosper. Does it ever seem in your life, does it ever seem like those who are in the wrong have it best? It does, right? That is, that is a reality in this world. And, and Malachi doesn't shy away from that. And, and the other biblical writers don't either. They acknowledge it. Now you might say, well, this seems like not a bad deal. If, if, the, if the arrogant ones are the ones who have it good, if the evildoers are the ones who prosper, there's no harm in being evil and there's no harm in being arrogant. The reason we would think that is because all of us are naturally arrogant and evil. That's what we naturally tend toward. So, of course, we would think, well, if it's not going to harm, if, if there's no, uh, if, it, if it's actually prosperous to do wrong, I'll just do wrong. That's, that's our normal way of thinking. And even though that is the reality for now, like we can look in the world, we can see, yeah, there, there definitely are times in the world where the ones who do right end up in trouble and the ones who do wrong end up having it pretty good. That is the reality now, but it will not always be like this. That's what, that's what Malachi is setting us up for. So that's, those are God's promises concerning those who oppose the Lord. Here's the second group of promises. Concerning those who fear the Lord. Concerning those who fear the Lord. Let me read, and you can follow along, verses 16 through 18. Then those who feared the Lord spoke with one another. The Lord paid attention and heard them. 
and a book of remembrance was written before him of those who feared the Lord and esteemed his name. They shall be mine, says the Lord of hosts, in the day when I make up my treasured possession, and I will spare them as a man spares his son who serves him. Then once more you shall see the distinction between the righteous and the wicked, between the one who serves God and the one who does not serve him. So he's giving certain promises here about those who fear the Lord. You see there in verse 16, they, they're speaking with one another. Now, the evildoers, those who oppose the Lord, they spoke too, right? How did they speak? What was their speech like? We saw it a little bit ago. They were, it was against the Lord, right? This, in this section, those who fear the Lord are speaking, and how are they speaking? What does it say? In verse 16, with one another. And, and a lot of people seem to think that when they're speaking with one another, uh, not only is it not against the Lord, they're probably obeying the command uh, that's given in Deuteronomy of uh, speaking to one another these commands of you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, uh, mind, and strength. And, uh, and, and God actually in that passage says, you shall speak with one another of these things. You shall talk about them daily, parent to child and, and, and one to another and so forth. So the fact that they're speaking with one another and they fear the Lord, probably they're encouraging one another to continue to fear and obey the Lord, to fear God and to keep His commandments, even in the midst of these others who are doing evil and seeming to prosper. Now, what happens when they speak with one another. Look at the very next sentence there, verse 16. They spoke with one another, and then the Lord what? Heard them, right? Paid attention and heard them. So they will be heard. You could write that in. They will be heard when they speak with one another. This is a, this is a comforting thing to know that God hears all of our words. It means that... Right words, when we speak rightly with one another, God hears them, God responds to them, God answers our prayer. And when wrong words are spoken, we know that God is the one who hears those as well, and He will deal with those. It's a good thing to know that our words are heard by God. He pays attention to them. So they will be heard. Next, they will be written in a book. They will be written in a book. They meaning the people, those who fear the Lord, they're written in a book. Verse 16 says, A book of remembrance was written before him of those who feared the Lord and esteemed his name. God writes the names of his people in a book of remembrance, meaning a book that he remembers, he knows. He writes it down and he remembers it, which means that once God writes the names of his people who fear him in a book, it cannot be unwritten. Those names cannot be erased. All right? Uh, when you were born, when all of us were born, our names were written on a piece of paper called a birth certificate. And, and basically, that piece of paper proves that you were born which, you know, just in case we didn't know that about you. We have a piece of paper that can tell us that you were born, okay? 
but once that is written, once that birth certificate is written, guess what? We know for sure that you exist, that you were born, and you're never going to be unborn. Your birth certificate lasts, you know, your life, right? Like it's, it's evidence forever that you have been born. It shows who you belong to. It shows who your parents are. It shows where you were born, when you were born, and who you belong to. And, and that's what makes this next part so interesting. They will belong to the Lord. You can write that blank in. They will belong to the Lord. So when your name, when God writes your name in his book, it's almost like he's writing your birth certificate and saying that you belong to me. You have been born into my family and you will never be unborn or put out of my family. I will remember it forever. You will belong to me. He says there in verse 17, they shall be mine, says the Lord of hosts, in that day when I make up my treasured possession. Malachi is uh, referencing the promise that God made back in Exodus. So right after, right after God delivered Israel from Egypt and they, and they, and they, they came out in the Exodus, God said to them, you will be my treasured possession. Exodus 19.5. You will be my treasured possession. And that's the exact wording he uses here as well. They will be mine, my treasured possession. That's what God says about you if you belong to him. You are mine. You are my treasured possession. That's what God thinks about those who belong to him. So they'll belong to the Lord next. They will be spared. They will be spared. What does this mean? Look at verse 17 again. The Lord says, I will spare them as a man spares his son who serves him. As a man ser- uh, spares his son who serves him. Okay, so I want to think about this. Um, in the, in the first group, the first, the first paragraph there, the group of people who opposed the Lord, what did they say that it was to serve the Lord? It's vain, they said. It's vain to serve the Lord, okay? There's this, there's this second uh, category here where the Lord says, I'm going to spare those who fear me as a man spares his son who serves me, okay? Think about this. How many of us naturally serve the Lord? None of us, right? Nobody. We're in that first group. A lot of times we think it's vain to serve God. And yet the Lord says, if you fear me, I will spare you as a man spares his son who serves me. Now think about it this way. How many people live, have lived their whole life and served God completely every moment of their life? Completely and fully from birth till death completely served God with their life. How many? One. And who, and who was it? It was the Son of God. So when God says, I will spare you as a man spares his son who serves him, guess what? God had one son who served him, and did God spare his son? Did God spare Jesus as a son who serves him? No. Caitlin read for us Romans 8 earlier. He did not spare his own son. Think about what that means then. You and I are the sons who did not serve him. 
Jesus is the one son who served him. Jesus was not spared so that you and I could be spared. That's the good news. That's the gospel of Christianity. There was one son who served God who was not spared so that all the sons and daughters who would not serve God could be spared. Jesus' perfect life, death, and resurrection was in our place, on our behalf, for our sins, so that we could be spared, just like as if we had completely served God. That's what Malachi is having us look forward to. And then, verse 18 says that these people, those who fear God, will be separated. They'll be separated, not as though they're being separated from God, but they're being separated for God. The distinction there, there's two categories. You can write these in. The righteous from the wicked... So the righteous is separated from the wicked. And then the next category, the one who serves God from the one who does not. And we already mentioned that you and I, if we put our faith in Jesus, are counted as those who serve God. And we are counted righteous. We are justified in God's sight. That's what we mean when we say that that we've been made right with God. This is, these are the promises that God makes concerning those who fear Him. Here's the third category. Concerning the day of the Lord. All right, the third group of promises is concerning the day of the Lord. So, let me read quickly, follow along. Chapter 4, 1 through 6. Behold, the day is coming, burning like an oven, when all the arrogant and all evildoers will be stubble. The day that is coming shall set them ablaze, says the Lord of hosts, so that it will leave them neither root nor branch. But for you who fear my name, the sun of righteousness shall rise with healing in its wings. You shall go out leaping like calves from the stall. You shall tread down the wicked, for they will be ashes under the soles of your feet on the day when I act, says the Lord of hosts. Remember the law of my servant Moses, the statutes and rules that I commanded him at Horeb for all Israel. Behold, I will send you Elijah the prophet before the great and awesome day of the Lord comes, and he will turn the hearts of fathers to their children and the hearts of children to their fathers, lest I come and strike the land with a decree of utter destruction. Okay, what's he saying here about the day of the Lord? So, uh, you see this phrase, day of the Lord, Throughout, throughout the Bible, we've seen it a lot in the Minor Prophets. This is the day that is described as when the Lord comes. When He comes. When He's going to right everything that's wrong. When He's going to make all things new. When He's going to bring His kingdom. When He's going to reveal Himself. When everything that right now is invisible to us, He makes visible. When He comes to dwell with His people. That's the day of the Lord. Now what are, here's the, here's the next blank, what are the Lord's actions on that day? What's he going to do? Two things. And, and each of these things depend on which category people fall into. Which of the above two categories you fall into. So the Lord's actions on that day. First, he will bring destruction upon the arrogant and evildoers. Destruction on them. So you remember, remember how, that's the, how that's how they were described in that first section? They were arrogant and they are evildoers. He uses those words again in chapter 4 verse 1 when all the arrogant and evildoers will be stubble. So if you, if you paid attention to those terms, you saw these words like burning like an oven. They will be made stubble. 
they will be set ablaze. Uh, they will have neither root nor branch left to them. Essentially what, what God is saying is that when He comes, when the Lord comes to deal with sin in the end, it's not as though it's going to be just a temporary, you know, that sin is just temporarily slowed down. It's going to mean that there's going to be a complete end of sin. Right? Didn't we, didn't we sing about that in, in one of our songs? Um, I'm forgetting it now. I'm going to find it. Uh, I see him there who made an end of all my sin. Right? He made an end of it. There will be a complete end of sin. And for the second group, he will provide healing and victory. Healing and victory for those who fear the Lord. That's what you see there in verses 2 and 3. Those who fear my name, the Son of Righteousness shall rise with healing in its wings. Healing. And you'll go out leaping, treading down the wicked on the day when I act. Uh, some of you, um, I know it's not Christmas time, and I, I normally do have a really strong opinion about not playing Christmas music before Thanksgiving, but I, but I hope... If you, uh, I hope maybe you're recognizing the words to a, uh, to to my favorite Christmas song. Okay, "Hark the Herald Angels Sing." Okay, uh, one of the verses: uh, "Hail the heaven-born Prince of Peace! Hail the Son of Righteousness! The Son of Righteousness, uh, life and light to all He brings, risen with healing in His wings." That's what Malachi. That comes straight from Malachi. Uh, mild he lays his glory by, born that man no more may die, born to raise the sons of earth, born to give them second birth. I love those words. But I can't say, it's against, the, it's against my religion to sing it before Thanksgiving. So I'll just, but if I quote it, it's okay. All right. That's the Lord's actions on that day. Finally, the Lord's words for that day. The Lord's words for that day. What are his words going to be uh, on the day when he comes? And here's what's interesting. What are the two, maybe we should put it this way, who are the two people that are mentioned there in verses 4 and 5? Who are the two prominent Old Testament figures mentioned there in verses 4 and 5? You can read it, right? Moses and Elijah, okay? What are we supposed to remember in verse 4? Remember the law of Moses, and, the, and then he says, Behold, I will send you Elijah the prophet, okay? You know what? You know what category the the Old Testament scriptures fall into. We would say Jesus would say that the scriptures are the law and the prophets. So here you have what are God's words on the future day? The law and the prophets. Which means, guess what? They're not going to change. God's words in the future are the same words He gives us now. The law and the prophets. Remember the law of Moses. Okay. Listen. Here's what that means. God gave us His law. Somewhat just to show we can't keep it, and we need the one who can keep it for us, and that's what Jesus has done for it. Remember it, though. Remember the law of Moses, the statutes and rules that he commanded. And because we can't keep it, he's going to send us Elijah the prophet. So we're going to have the words of the prophets, too. Uh, this was actually fulfilled in the New Testament by what person? Who, who is Elijah in the New Testament? Do you know? This is a quiz. What did you say? 
not Elisha. Who's Elijah in the Old in the New Testament? Do you know? Go to if you don't know, you can uh, let's we can look at this. Luke, uh, Luke, Luke chapter one, real quick. This is how we'll close. Luke one. All right, Luke one, and uh, in Luke one you have this couple, Zechariah and Elizabeth. Zechariah and Elizabeth were old. They were righteous, but they didn't have any children. They're promised a son in their old age. Who was the son that was going to be born to Zechariah and Elizabeth? Do you know? What did you say? John the Baptist, okay? And of John, here's what's written uh, in, verse, in verse 16. So Luke, Luke 1, 16 and 17. This is what the angel says about John the Baptist. He will turn many of the children of Israel to the Lord their God, and he will go before him in the spirit and power of Elijah to turn the hearts of the fathers to their children and the disobedient to the wisdom of the just to make ready for the Lord a people prepared. Again, that's exactly what, exactly what Malachi predicted. We needed the law of Moses and we needed Elijah the prophet. And the whole reason that Elijah the prophet, John the Baptist, came in the New Testament was to prepare the way of the Lord, to prepare the way for Jesus, the one who would fulfill the law for us, the one who, even though he served God his whole life and was a son who served the Lord, he was not spared so that we could be spared. Those are really outstanding promises uh, that the Old Testament ends on, and Israel had to wait 400 years for those things to be fulfilled. Now, I hope you're thinking, man, those promises almost sound good, too good to be true. Because in some ways they are. Because don't, you don't get promises any better than that, that we can be spared as one who, as though we had served God completely. That's, those are the promises that Malachi ends on. Let me pray for us. Father, these indeed are great promises, and because they are great promises, they do give us great expectations of how you will fulfill these promises. We believe, we understand these things to be true, and that these promises are for us. They are for your children. Thank you that we can be spared, that even though we are the ones who are arrogant, we are the ones who are evildoers, that Jesus has come as your perfect son and that he was not spared so that we might be counted as a perfect son, as, as one who serves you, uh, who, who then can be spared. We love you. Uh, we praise you for that. We thank you for the scriptures. Thank you for the law of Moses and for the prophets like Elijah and for uh, even, even this passage in Malachi and these promises that we have. We pray we'll live in them and by them. In Jesus' name, amen.